0: Hey folks, Rigor here. So I just wanted to let you know that this show is actually a video special. However, due to licensing issues, we can't actually release the video publicly. So if you want to watch the actual video and see the clips that David Mish presented, please go to our Patreon page at patreon.com slash then is now podcast now for this audio version of the podcast i didn't cut any of the audio from the clips that he showed so when you listen to this episode you'll obviously be able to hear the music but not see the video even if you just listen we have a great discussion about the career of silent film star buster keaton thank you so much and enjoy Hello and welcome to this special video episode of Then Is Now podcast. I am your host, Rigor, and with me, of course, is my co host, filmmaker Chris Asper. Haven't talked to you in a while, man. It's been forever. Yeah, how are you doing? Good, good, good. They're keeping you busy at work? Oh, they're keeping me very busy, if <laughs> awesome. I can't complain. <laughs> well, also joining us today is a Hollywood screenwriter who's no stranger to the show. He was a guest on our Filmmaker Series on Patreon, and if you haven't gone to Patreon yet, you should because you're missing out on some cool stuff. And he's also going to be in our upcoming and long-awaited video series called Hollywood Tales that we recorded a while ago, but it's finally going to happen in the next few weeks. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome David Mish
1: thank you thank you please please no that's enough (laughs) sit down really it's unnecessary it's just embarrassing to me and you frankly
0: oh man thanks for joining us David yes thank you okay folks david is going to tell us about the amazing and fascinating life of comedian buster keaton and this is a video podcast because he's going to have some cool stuff to show us so uh if you're just listening to the audio version of this episode we highly recommend that you go over to our youtube page when you get a chance and watch this video because it's going to be awesome class is in session
1: well uh buster keaton when i moved to la um Finally, I mean, I had lived here for doing Mork and Mindy, and when I uh, moved back to New York, and then I came back to stay. And when I did, um, I read in the paper that there, because we read things in what were called newspapers back then. It's kind (laughs) of like Twitter only made out of paper. Anyway, um, I read that there was a showing of The General, a film by Buster Keaton, at a place called the Silent Movie Theater, which kind of like its name, was a movie theater that showed only silent movies and um i was very excited and our daughter was like five far too young to see something like that but screw that i i drugged her along and she ended up loving it anyway but when we got there it was a full house and i looked around and i noticed about eight or ten other hollywood screenwriters with their families because keaton is in some ways, the font of all physical comedy. He's just a, a, an influence unimaginably large. And if we have time and inclination later on, I'll show you a montage I made of some of the ways uh, Keaton has been paid tribute to by some, of the, some uh, major Hollywood people, uh, Johnny Depp, um, uh, Jackie Chan, um, Weird Al Yankovic, <laughs> <laughs> the list the simpsons the list goes on anyway so if you don't know keaton and whether you're a hollywood screenwriter or not uh he's you know he was incredibly popular he was second only to chaplin and in many ways i think he's sort of eclipsed chaplin a bit in more recent years um so if you're unaware of him uh please become aware of him and I'll give you a list of the things you should look up. And I've been doing some talks about Keaton um, in my other life as a uh, as a lecturer, uh, multimedia things that have lots of clips, some of the ones you'll see. And uh, a lot of people have emailed me afterwards saying I'd heard the name. I was vaguely aware of him, but I didn't get it until I saw these clips of yours. And uh, I'm blown away and I'm not going to watch all his movies. So trust me, he's well worth the investment of time. And some of the people have said, I don't like slapstick. I think slapstick's stupid. And then I saw this and I changed my mind.
0: <laughs> so wow.
1: uh, you, you can see for yourselves. And Keaton has actually, I'll probably get to this later, a larger resonance than simply being funny. Uh, but we'll, we'll get in, into that later. But anyway why that's why he's important that's why he's so much incredible fun unlike many important things he's fun and funny and uh, actually one of the clips i have i won't show it is uh from a uh, uh, Bern- uh bernardo bertolucci movie of the uh early 90s which was most memorable for me at the time because eva green Uh, made her movie debut in it and she was naked for about half the movie and (laughs) I therefore felt it was a really great cinematic triumph. But in any case there's one very brief scene where the two guys who are in love with her uh, are having a big fight over who's funnier, Chaplin or Keaton. And I mean, it's a French movie, but they, they're, they both speak English, and the scene is in English, and they're just, they almost come to blows over the question. And that's sort of been true uh, throughout cinema history. The short version is the chaplain came out of Victorian music halls, and he was basically a mel he, he grew up in melodrama, he grew up in broad emotional strokes. And his movies have him laughing and crying and doing everything in between. He never did anything. He didn't do a thing. He was known as the great stone face. And yet, without any expression, he somehow conveyed universal humanity. And uh, you can read all the emotions in the world into that stone face.
0: Right, it's this amazing deadpan expression, you know? Yeah. <laughs> And by the way,
1: actually, I can uh, start with one clip right here, which is very brief. Actually, this is just an audio clip. So let me
0: I learned that from the stage that I was the type of comedian that if I laughed at what I did, the audience didn't. Yeah. So
1: that was the birth of it. It wasn't because he thought he theoretically thought, oh, wouldn't it be interesting to be different than everyone else do something no one has ever done? It was because that's how he could get more laughs.
2: I, and uh, can you tell us the great story about how he got the nickname of Buster?
1: Yeah, it is a great story. It's also not true. Uh, <laughs> so <laughs> I think he told the story when he got older, but he wouldn't be old enough. He, he wouldn't remember because it happened when he was six months old. Uh, and there's enough truth around it that anyway, it makes a great story. And no one can say for sure, except there's a new 770 page biography. Just a second. I'm 72, so this is going to be difficult. Oh, oh, there it is. <laughs> and uh, it's really amazing. You have to be a Keaton fanatic to read it. There are actually two, sorry, Buster Keaton, a filmmaker's uh, life by James Curtis. There's another biography came out almost the same week uh, 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 about, about Keaton. I forget uh, the author's name, but uh, there are dueling biographies. And this one is, the, is featuring more his filmmaking as opposed to his personal life, although it certainly deals with his personal life as well. Um, but if, you have to be a fanatic to read 770 pages of uh, things like his his salary in vaudeville. Uh, but I am a fanatic and I'm loving it. Uh, and, but you can skim, skim it like one does Moby Dick. Don't read the wailing chapters. That's just a waste of time. Um, you can skim it and get wonderful things. Anyway, James Curtis says that the famous story is not true. Uh, and I can't even remember his actual actual explanation of the nickname because it wasn't as interesting. That's why we, you know, if you know the truth and the legend, print the legend. Uh, so that was a famous saying by, oh, what was it? Oh, my God. Um, John, John Houston, was it? No, it was uh, Howard Hawks. Yeah. Oh right. Okay. Uh, when it, with the uh, the movie uh, the man who shot Liberty Valance, that was uh, a famous line in it. Um, anyway, uh, the legend is that uh, Keaton was six months old, a baby, and he was he was backstage at a vaudeville show run by his father, who was ended up being in many of his movies and was also an alcoholic, abusive asshole, and Harry Houdini they sort of co-ran a uh, a vaudeville show. And uh, I guess it was a minstrel show, not a minstrel show, but a a tent show or something like that. What what am I thinking of? Minstrel show? Anyway, it was some traveling thing. And that is true. Uh, Keaton traveled with Houdini and his movies are filled with magic uh, with tricks he learned from uh, Houdini. But in any case, so he's backstage and he comes on a uh, staircase and he, takes a, a crawl towards it, and he falls down the staircase. And he looks up, and he's perfectly fine. He It just didn't bother him, which is something that was true his whole life. He did the most amazing physical things. And uh, he said, never uh, in 17 years with his father using him as the human mop thrown around the stage. At one point, he was actually thrown at a heckler. His father took him and threw him into the audience to shut a heckler up. <laughs> Despite all that, he said in 17 years, he was never injured and never hurt. And um, his father was repeatedly arrested for child abuse. (laughs) <laughs> and he would go down to the police station and uh, they would realize uh, Buster had no bruises, but his father got so he had to strip naked off and to prove he had no bruises and they both got sick of it. So finally, uh, his father started telling the police Buster was a midget. <laughs> That's all that problem. because you can do anything you want to imagine. <laughs> um, but anyway, so them? Buster fell down the stairs and uh, Houdini supposedly said that sure was a Buster, meaning a rough fall. You know, you kind of bust your body and that's how he got his name and his stick. But of course, he didn't enter vaudeville at the age of six months. That would be ridiculous. He didn't enter until he was nine months old. And then he became a part of the the act, even though he could not walk.
0: (laughs) uh, um, The father or the mother sewed like a handle into the back of his shirt so that the father could toss him around.
1: Absolutely. Good one. Very good. Yes, that is true. Yeah. There are all are all sorts of fun vaudeville stories, but the the main fun of the book for me is um, the movies and how he made them and things he came up with. Uh, and you know, mm-hmm. the other thing is I'm going to be talking about Keaton. Uh, but what is it when they say you know like school of Rembrandt? So it wasn't necessarily Rembrandt, but the people around him. And most of <laughs> Keaton's movies are school of Keaton. It's him doing everything, but he had a bunch of gag writers. There's a wonderful photo. I could probably bring it up in the net. Of uh, him uh, on a bench with his gag writers, and they're all making goofy faces, and he's sitting in the middle, you know, stone face naturally. And uh, but they were great, and they came up with lots of the gags, all of which he had to approve, all of which he adjusted to fit what he felt was important. And he's definitely the auteur of the whole thing, but he didn't come up with each gag himself. Oh, they wow. were called gags, stunts back then, right?
0: Yeah, I mean, he did a lot of them, they, they're called two reel comedies, I mean, obviously Mm -hmm. the three of us know what a reel of film is, but what makes is it is it because it's only two reels that it's more of a short film than a feature?
1: Reels are reels of film were 11 minutes. So two reeler was 22 minutes long. Oh, okay. And uh, Keaton wanted to stop. uh, He saw the future in 1920 and he wanted to make only features. His friend, Fatty Arbuckle, really Roscoe Arbuckle, was just making one of the first, and and uh, he wanted to do one. And uh, his um, the guy he was in business with said, no, no, you got to do the two reelers because those are the ones people are used to, and they'll sell. So he did, uh, but then he started features a year or two later, but by then Chaplin and Harold Lloyd had already started. So he thought if he'd been the first, it would have given him a leg up. And I think he probably thought maybe he could be Chaplin, but he couldn't. Chaplin is universal. In a way, Keaton isn't. Keaton requires a little more effort from the viewer, not a lot, <laughs> but a little more, you have to, you have to accept that face, you have to accept the surrealism with Cha- which Chaplin really never got into, you have to accept, you know, interpersonal relationships being secondary to physical action, and Chaplin loves sentiment, and the sentiment is very winning. I mean, it's wonderful to laugh and cry. And, you know, the ending of City Lights, I show it as part of the talks I do. And I cry every time. I've seen that 50, 60, 70 times. Now, I never don't cry. It's unbelievable. But I still prefer Keaton because Keaton demands more of me. And I just can't get enough of him. Watch him over and over. It's just always rewarding.
0: Oh, man. Mm -hmm. I've seen The Electric Mm -hmm. House a zillion times. I love that one.
1: That was based, uh, okay, that's a ho- uh, it, the the star of the thing other than Keaton is a house where they have a whole bunch of contraptions to get everyday chores done. And it's just amazing. You can just watch the scene where they're having breakfast and you have enough gags for 30 movies right there. Yeah. But uh, that was actually based on a house he lived in with a, a friend and uh, they, they constructed a lot of those in real life. Wow. I think one of my favorites is um, they have... They have a board up where you can hang uh, uh, your cups and where they they have plates displayed and everything. And there are niches for them. You put them in there. And when they're done eating, they put them all there. And then they pull it down. It turns out there's a tub of water with soap in it underneath. So that's how they wash them. And then it just brings it up again. (laughs) But the whole thing is just incredibly ingenious. When Keaton uh, was older and uh, living in Woodland Hills, he uh, did a bunch of uh, contraptions for his house. One of them was, I believe, a uh, model train that brought food from the kitchen to the dining room when people were eating with him. Wow. Wow.
0: <laughs> That's great. My son always loved the gag where he's the stairs is, is like an escalator that can go up or down, and the escalator is yeah. going down, and he's got a big trunk on his back, and he's trying to go up, but he's not getting anywhere.
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Well, it was well, Keaton's relationship with objects was always wonderful. That, let me uh, play you a clip to illustrate that. <laughs> so anyway, um, yeah, that's great. Um, now, it's funny because, and there are a lot of bits like, like that, where he has trouble with objects and where he uses objects very adroitly. But I was just thinking about that gag last night in bed. I should have been having sex with my wife, but I was thinking about that gag. (laughs) And what I thought was how much time and effort went into that eight seconds? I mean, can you imagine building that car, which had to fall apart within a couple instants and not kill your kosar, or at least injure him i mean he's sitting yeah. there and then he falls a bunch of bu- among a bunch of clanking metal so he had people working for him who did amazing things too hmm.
2: Huh. well and um something else too um uh what can you tell us about his relationship with fatty arbuckle uh wasn't he a mentor to buster in some way that Total also-
1: mentor. Yeah. roscoe arbuckle was a great man they say uh, he has come down in history with people knowing, if anything, about him, two things. One, he was fat. And two, that he raped a girl. But he didn't. So it's a long story. There have been books made about it. There have been movies made about it. The Wild right. Party in the late 70s, I think, with Raquel Welch. Uh, there was a party. And in fact, he loved Living Large. Roscoe did. And uh, he had a big party in San Francisco. Buster was not there. And a young girl, I believe she was 17 or so, was there. And she later claimed that he had raped her. And um, it later, it later came out that her mother put her up to it. She was just hoping to get money. Uh, She was an aspiring actress. And the jury, um, I think for the first jury deadlock, then they redid it and they not only acquitted him, they wrote a note to the judge saying that they they wanted to apologize for uh, to Roscoe for putting him through that because it was so obvious that the girl was lying. So, um, but his career was ruined and he never came back from it, he had been one of the top stars. Uh, Buster came on, uh, it was the first thing he ever done in movies, he was, he was sort of a big vaudeville star. But then in the movies, he became a second banana to to uh, Roscoe, and he was um, uh, in, utterly entranced with the, uh, the movies the minute he entered them. And the first day he was in the studio with Arbuckle, he said he asked to take the camera home, where he took it apart and put it back together again to see how it worked. Wow. Uh, just like in the movies, the real Keaton was utterly fascinated by every type of machine, but especially trains, but certainly the camera as well. So, um, yeah, Fatty took him under his wing and taught him a lot. Keaton always said he showed me how to be funny on screen. And um, they had a wonderful collaboration. And then when Keaton wanted to go out on his own, Fatty totally supported him. He wrote a letter to the movie distributors saying this is Buster Keaton. He's funnier than I am. It's like <laughs> how, how nice a guy can you be? And uh, uh, they they were great friends. Then after the disaster and Arbuckle's career was over, he came back and tried to do some directing and keaton uh had him direct uncredited some of his co-direct keaton co-directed most of his movies but he had arbuckle help out on some things and i think arbuckle did a few other things but he never really came back because his spirit was crushed as well as his mm. um, bank account and his movie career right
0: yeah I, i've heard over the years a couple of um really bad stories about fatty arbuckle i mean one involving a broken beer bottle and want to get
1: graphic here but the broken beer bottle was part of the rape trial. Yeah. That yeah. yeah. That it simply didn't happen.
0: I think, and years uh, later, I
1: think the girl admitted the whole thing, but she was, she was 17 and her mother wanted the money. She wanted to be bought off and Arbuckle wouldn't pay her off.
2: Right. Well, there's, the there was also kind of a lighter side of this. Um, <laughs> I, but Fatty, um, Fatty Arbuckle, uh, when he was going back into to do work again, uh, Buster Keen jokingly gave him a pseudonym. I think it was something to the effect of like uh, he said that he should name uh, name himself as a new credit, saying like I I'll be good or in Oh yeah. It was something like that. Yeah,
0: I forgot. Yeah.
1: <laughs> something be good, yes, not yeah, John, yeah, yeah, yeah. but yes, uh, yeah, I think that's true.
0: That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. So around what year did all this happen with Fatty Arbuckle and and you know? I
1: think it was the early twenties.
0: Oh, the early twenties. Okay. Yeah. Wow.
1: So, they were still roaring though. Oh yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So let's
0: go through some of his other films in the twenties. If you could tell us about them, like you know, the Playhouse or Cops or.
1: Oh kids. boy, so much with each. So I can show clips from each too. One great thing about the Playhouse is wonderful. It's a, a, a sort of a showbiz story. It uh, takes place around a a playhouse, a, a theater where things are going on. But one interesting thing is that uh, Keaton sprained his ankle during the shooting of it. Now he had an, there were scenes they shot before his ankle was sprained and after, but during it he didn't want to shut down production. That costs a lot of money, so he thought of a way to keep doing film uh, and uh, a sequence in it. Uh, that uh, is utterly astonishing still a hundred years after it was done. simultaneously that's amazing. it's a long story but basically what they did is put a piece of very thin black tape over the camera in each of the different nine positions and Keaton would act out the things but it's incredibly precise and mathematical to make it look uh, work effectively and he did it so he was utterly fascinated by the, the mechanical uh, special effects side of filmmaking as much as the physical humor um and uh, the most famous instance of that, which I won't show, it's a fairly lengthy sequence, is in um, a movie called Sherlock Jr., which is uh, not a full-length picture. It's 45 minutes, uh, I guess, four reels. And the, uh, it, it, that movie alone has produced so many gags for so many people over the years it's really an astonishing work. Someone, maybe it was Orson Welles, who was a huge Keaton fan. He thought the General* was the greatest film ever made. He was wrong, Citizen Kane. But in any case, uh, (laughs) he loved Keaton. And uh, he said that um, uh, very often Keaton was, it was more poetry than it was comedy. And in Sherlock Jr., there's a sequence where he's a projectionist and he walks into the movie he's showing. And in that, inside the movie, the movie starts cutting from scene to scene. And he, so he goes to sit down on a bench and he ends up falling into the ocean because he's on a rock in the ocean and just, and he dives, he dives into the ocean and it turns into a snowbank. But again, they had to do that thing where they tape off the camera, and then they had to they had to take precise measurements. I think they used a um, what's it called when you're doing land uh, land work? uh, You know, the people with the 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 instruments to measure everything precisely.
0: Oh, like surveying or?
1: Yes, they use surveyors' equipment. And um, they had to get his exact position from the camera and his exact position of arms and legs. And then they matched it precisely so that when he does something like that, in the middle, they're cutting from one scene to the other. Anyway, that sequence is astonishing. And Sherlock Jr. in general is astonishing. I'll show some other things from that later. But, uh, yeah, so the the playhouse was an amazing turning point in cinema history. Uh, And then um, the other one you mentioned was? Cops and the cameraman cops Uh, cops is a brilliant uh, short film again 22 minutes long uh wonderful physical gags uh but i think my favorite is about eight or ten seconds long (laughs) that car had to be going Had to be going what 15 20 miles an hour right right and yank right out of its socket. And the thing I always point out is, there's a, a philosopher of comedy named Henri Bergson, and uh, he felt that all comedy was either mechanical or animalistic. And in that one, I say it's mechanical in the sense that he is yanked away like an object, and he flies out of frame almost horizontal with the screen. Right. Just amazing anyway uh but there were you know almost every movie he made had some incredible thing actually uh let me show this as one of my favorite montages um the most incredible thing i I can't say that i retract that one of the incredible things about buster keaton was his physicality he was short he was like five six he was a real athlete i mean he was a real athlete and he did all these incredible stunts. And he was an acrobat because from the age of six months, he was getting thrown around by his father and he knew how to fall, he knew how to not hurt himself. Although he did get hurt sometimes, often for reasons not of his own making. But uh, here's an example, a one minute example of his physicality. <laughs> just incredible yeah awesome. amazing occasionally i could show this but maybe not um one of them was a great stunt in sherlock jr where he's on top of a train back then trains required what every once in a while you had to pull over and pull a, a string on a, a large water uh, container and water would pour in to cool down the engine and um so he gets to one of those and he pulls it and instead it goes all over him and he falls to the ground so that's funny lots of water blah 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 but what wasn't so funny is his head hit the rail the rail of the railroad track and he said he had a headache and he took the rest of the day off which was very unusual for him and then he came back to work the next day and all was fine 10 years later he got a, a routine physical and the doctor said when did you break your neck Oh, my God. Oh, wow. So he was operating with a broken neck for the next few months and didn't know it.
0: (laughs) That's unbelievable. Wow. Wow. I'm probably going to do this uh, no justice, but I'm trying to recall there was one I saw. uh, Maybe you could tell me which film this is. It's something about him moving his house and then he turns his bathtub into a boat, but then he can't get it out because the door is too small. Or am I? Yes. Well, that's
1: uh, that was his. I think that was his first or maybe second short uh, for as an independent filmmaker after he left uh, Arbuckle Uh, and it's called One Week. It's utterly hilarious, utterly ingenious, so many wonderful things in it. Um, There are two gags uh, that I have. I'll play play both of those for you. This first one is um, this is nothing amazing happens. It's just utterly hilarious. And you mentioned bathtub. I don't have the one you're talking about, but this is where um, his wife is taking a bath. (laughs) And the hand hand there was Keaton's. (laughs) Uh, So the other, this is again, one of his most famous, there are like 30 of his most famous. But uh, this is one where they've built this house, uh, a romantic rival, uh, evilly. Back then, there was a craze, actually. Sears Roebuck started it of do it yourself houses, where they send you the parts for building a house and the instructions on how to do it, and you build the house. And this is being done all over the country. You can look it up, it really happened. And uh, so they thought they'd parody that with this movie. And in this one, a romantic rival. Switches the parts. He he renumbers the parts so that what they come up with is a a ridiculous looking house. And uh, they are now trying to move this ridiculous looking house from one location to another, and they get stuck in an inopportune spot. (laughs) <laughs> so, so that train bit. Um, what's I think so interesting about it is that um, that second train is, of course, a huge surprise. But in real life, it wouldn't be, would it? We'd hear it, we'd right. see it.
0: And he he looked in that direction when the other train went that way. Right.
1: Uh-huh. <laughs> and the reason he can do that is that in keaton's world if it isn't in the frame it doesn't exist okay yeah. it's that those that square box is all there is in the world and uh nothing else is real until it's shown so in that way in that bit he, he gets his laugh by exploiting that it's a silent movie even mm-hmm. if you could see it you would even if you couldn't see it you would hear it and you can't hear it because it's silent. So Keaton used every facet of the medium he worked in to uh, to make things funny. Uh, we took a little break and uh, Chris was talking about really enjoying surrealism. So I'll show you a six-second surrealist bit from one of, this is from Keaton's first uh, short.
2: That's, a, that's amazing. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Suck.
0: yeah how does he do something like that
1: yeah the hook you just couldn't see it Oh, so he painted over it oh okay oh. If it's not a full hook there was a little you know nail or something that he could fit it on but you can't see the detail of, a, of the film isn't strong enough so you could see that ahead of time maybe they painted it dark or something yeah there's that that a would lot of that. things though that uh you really have trouble figuring out uh i'll yeah. show you again one of the 30 most famous ones uh this was something he actually did in his vaudeville act it was done live on stage but here it's part of sherlock jr uh oh but I, i just want to say one thing about that surrealist thing what's interesting is he didn't do that often mostly he wanted his uh comedy to be true and believable and he felt that you know Distracting from that was wrong. But that was his first uh, short, and it was a great bit, and it only lasted a second. So it's what we sometimes call a throwaway. You just do it, and the audience isn't going to get hooked, so to speak, on it. And uh, you get away with it and you get a laugh. But you can't do that too much or emphasize it too much. So this is um, uh, Buster is being chased by two bad guys into an alley. must have been something on stage uh if you want to know the secret the uh peddler is um pretending to stand against the wall but in the between those shots he's actually behind the wall lying on a board with his head sticking like this but the rest of his body is horizontal on a board so buster dives through the skirts under the board then the guy pushes his legs down and walks through opening so just amazing he did a number of tricks like that again houdini inspired uh but uh real live magic
2: (laughs) yeah crazy that is crazy i have to make a note about this real quick because um it just popped into my head so a few years back i was reading the biography of marty feldman who is an incredible comic or was an incredible comic he was very much inspired by Buster Keen. and it's so evident when you see the movies that he directed, and he only directed two movies. Uh, what I were was, they?
1: I'm interested. Uh,
2: one movie was the last remake of Beaugest. It's yep. uh, him, Michael, that, yeah. him, Michael York, uh, got um, uh, Peter Usinov, got a great cast. There's a whole silent movie sequence shot in black and white, oh. and, uh, and he does those sort of surreal sort of um, uh, comedy, including... Uh, Something where uh Beaugest is talking to Cary Grant, the original Boges and a few other and we're killing flies.
1: <laughs> it was a moth. I don't like moths. <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. Yeah.
2: That's all right. So yeah, so there are scenes where Marty Feldman Boges is talking to Cary Grant from a you know a yeah. movie from the 30s, and this is before Dead Man Don't Wear Plaid. Yeah. And um, you know, and other such like surreal sort of visual qualities uh and in fact in his biography it said that he was before he passed away he was working on a Buster Keaton biopic where he himself oh. was was going to be Keaton yeah that would have been great cast casting wow.
1: you know there's going to be a, a Keaton biopic it's, is that right yeah, yeah it was just announced a little while ago i can't remember who i think Ron Howard might be behind it can't remember anyway yeah. go ahead
2: um so and then the other movie that he directed was in god we trust which is a movie never heard of that uh, it's pretty good it's a movie with uh it's himself louise lasser andy kaufman of all people and and, uh and uh richard pryor playing god (laughs) it's uh it's it's quite it's quite a movie but yeah that movie too has a share of like you know uh, because i look at that clip that we just saw and i'm reminded of the stuff that Marty feldman would do uh and how he got inspired by Keaton.
0: that's funny Bill, might be both of those most famous stunt, in the
1: scent which maybe I'll, I'll show in a second uh i i was talking to a high school and um a, a kid in the audience uh, i showed keaton doing this amazing thing and the guy said that's not original i said I'm, I'm pretty sure it is and he said no no i've seen it before and i said oh well okay i, I guess and then i showed a montage of all the tributes to this particular stunt and there was one that was in the rest of development, and the kids said, Oh, yeah, that's where I saw it. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. But again, not unlike nothing being real unless it's on the screen. If you're 16, nothing ever happened before you saw it happen. So Right. right.
0: <laughs> I was just saying earlier uh, my parents always took me to the movies, and we saw both of those Marty Feldman films in the theater. Did oh, <laughs> you? Really? Yeah. Yeah, wow. I remember them well. They just they just came to
2: Blu-ray from uh, from a Kino. Uh, I always forget how to say Corver. the uh, thank you
3: like
2: and Carver yeah thank you yeah and they they have like great commentaries on them uh, and the commentator speaks to Feldman's inspiration to Buster Keaton and specific things of what he liked about Buster Keaton really fascinating
1: yeah nice. well Keaton was uh, not a contemporary but I mean he was alive then and he was even making movies into the uh, 60s. Actually oh, that's sure. thing, and we were going to talk about it. Do you want uh, maybe uh now I should talk a little about his life? I can give a pricey, I can give a nutshell version of it.
0: Yeah, I mean, you know, like the first of all towards the end of the 20s he did the General, which you briefly mentioned earlier and I'd like to talk about it later, but yeah, 27 and that wasn't accepted very well. It didn't do very well.
1: No. Um, well, it, his two um I'm just thinking What's the other one? that Well, I, we'll, we'll just say The General. Uh, the General is different than many of his movies in that it's a period piece. It takes place during the Civil War, and it's not a pure comedy. It has drama in it and an exciting story, which was based on uh, real life about a uh, a uh, southerner who, who uh, stole a union train. And um, it was not particularly well-received at the time, uh, mostly, I think, because it didn't have the sort of flat-out hysterical gags that the other movies did. But nowadays it's considered one of the greatest. And some people say it's the greatest Civil War movie ever made, uh eclipsing the incredibly racist um uh, uh, D.W. Griffith um, uh, what was it? Um
0: Oh, the history? No. Birth of a Nation. Birth of a Nation, of... Yeah.
1: yeah. Which was originally called the Klansman. But they changed the name. They didn't change the script though. In any case, um, uh, it, it really is very true to the period and uh, and wonderfully done. Uh, but yeah, it was not well accepted and it, uh, no one was happy because Keaton, you know, was sort of in charge of his own movies and he didn't make money if he didn't make money. Uh, but there are all sorts of wonderful things about that movie. But the thing that lingers in everyone's mind is this scene of a, um, a Confederate, gen- I'm sorry, a Union general who is leading his men uh, in a battle, and they have a, a train which has their supplies and some of the soldiers on it, and the um, southern uh, soldiers have burned, a, begun burning a bridge that the train comes to, and the general looks at it and decides, I think it's not well, you're going to see. He makes a decision. By the way, Keaton is not in the scene, and it's not a comic scene. But he directed it. So there's a lot going on there. So there are a number of things about that. First of all, because it's still fresh in our minds, what was uh, the reaction that you saw on the general's face? What, how did he react to that happen?
0: There wasn't much of a reaction at all. Yeah, it was wasn't more, a much what? of a reaction, yeah. Uh, you
1: guys are too smart for the room. That's, that's not, yes, you're right. But most people will say he was humiliated. He was embarrassed. He was mortified. But he wasn't. And the reason he wasn't is that Keaton gave him the direction, show nothing. Okay. And most people, even though the guy is showing, I, I say, How do you feel? And people say, Humiliated. And then I show him a still of that last frame. And the guy has no expression on his face. Right. So it's just, and that was the key of all of Keaton's acting, which is you don't show it, you make it. Uh, uh, the audience has to infer it from the situation and the character, right. so that makes it, in my opinion, more powerful. Uh, although, you know, in defense of Chaplin's sentimentality, Noel Coward once said, "There is nothing as powerful as cheap sentiment," and <laughs> and that's true. Um, but anyway, a number of other things. So that really happened. That train, Keaton bought the train. He had the bridge built, and there are still remnants of the train in a canyon in Oregon today. Wow. Uh, and I, I read a story once about the making of that scene. And it all, this always struck me it's such a haunting image, which is the townspeople in this uh, area in Oregon gathered. They knew what was going to happen and they gathered to watch it. And uh, Keaton had a dummy in the engine area. So there was a, a figure, a silhouette you could see of a human being in the in the engine room but it wasn't it was a fake it was a mannequin uh but a number of people when they saw it happen, thought there was a person in there and they screamed so as the train falls they were screaming thinking someone had died uh anyway it was uh, uh, an amazing thing it was the most expensive stunt of the entire silent movie era more than wow. anything w griffith did or anyone else huh. uh and, and you know it, the movie got a mediocre reaction at the time, but that scene in that movie has lived now for over 100 years, and uh, I think it will keep going. So it was worth it.
0: <laughs> he, he released The General in 62 and got a much better reception from both critics and fans alike.
1: He did, and in 1965, I think he died in 66, but he may have died later in 65, he and The General were invited to the Venice Film Festival, where... They showed the general, and uh, Keaton got a 10-minute standing ovation. Wow. And the great stone face wept. Wow, that's awesome. So it's pretty cool that, you know, he thought this movie will be seen next week. (laughs) He didn't think it would be seen in 100 years. No one did that. Chaplin didn't either. And um, the fact that he was being recognized as an artist, I mean, the furthest thing from his mind was artistry. And he was being recognized as an artist at the most prestigious film festival in the world. It was wonderful, I think, for all of us Keaton fans that he knew how great he was when he died. This was his attitude towards the idea of artistry. Around that same time, he was asked a complex question about one of his movies. And he thought for a moment, said, I don't feel qualified to talk about my work.
0: (laughs) That's amazing. Wow. So so that was, general was 1927. Now, wasn't that around the time um, a little bit after that, when talkies came in and he made a contract with MGM and kind of lost his creative control? Is that sort of where?
1: Yeah, he had been it's a long story, but he was in business with his brother in law, Joseph Skink. And I think Skink's cousin or uncle or something like that was Louis B. Mayer and uh, Mayer wanted Keaton. Keaton was one of the biggest stars in the world and Keaton was very nervous. He said, "You know, I'm I do I, I'm successful because I can I I don't answer to anyone. I do what I want to do, and you know I spend my own money and I make my own movies." And Skank said, "No, no, no. You're going to have complete freedom there. I mean, they may help you out if you want it, but they're not going to force anything on you." And we don't know. I haven't read the, the section in the new book, so I don't know for sure if Keaton or if we know today whether Skank was flat out lying or simply didn't know himself. But in any case, that that didn't happen. As soon as he signed in 1929, his next movie was The Cameraman. He did have something to say about The Cameraman and it's still considered a great Keaton movie. I don't think it is, but many people do. Um, But he definitely had some say and you can see some genuine Keaton in there. But after that, it all went to hell. And uh, it was, um, he had to do whatever they wanted. They hired gag writers for him, he spoke and keaton's voice was great it was all gravelly and hilarious he, he he was not afraid of sound at all he would have done it on his own but what they did is they stuck him in these mini mediocre terribly written uh things and they gave him a character a stupid character they paired him up with a guy who most people don't know now named jimmy durani who's a fast talking very broad comic and they thought he'll be the fast talking guy and keaton will just be there stewing in a hilarious way Heaton tried his best but it, it was terrible it, the movies they made which were successful were terrible hmm. uh and then keaton became an alcoholic it started in the late 20s he was married to a, a fairly well-known movie star named natalie Talmadge. her sister constance was one of the biggest stars in silent movies and natalie uh was not the right match uh they they didn't get along and uh she was also related to Louis B. Mayer, I believe. Uh, so it was sort of a you know a, 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 a royal marriage. But in any case, they, they had a terrible time together, and Keaton started drinking, and he became an alcoholic. He and uh, Talmadge divorced. She um, changed all the boys' names from Keaton. Uh, he had they had three three sons, and Keaton didn't see them for decades, and. Um, he became such a horrible alcoholic that in 1934, I think he uh, married his nurse, and he later claimed he didn't have any memory of having married her, and she <laughs> only did it to get the money. And I think they—I think it was either annulled or or divorced the next day. Um, but in any case, he slowly worked his way back. He was a hardworking guy, whether you know he was alcoholic or not, and he, he quit drinking. And he then became a gag man for MGM. He was paid a a horrible, you know, absolutely bottom of the one salary. And within, what, six, seven years earlier, he had been one of the highest paid movie stars in the world at that same studio. So it it would have been humiliating for most people, but he worked hard and gave gags to Abbott and Costello, to Red Skelton, to the Marx Brothers, and um, uh, worked successfully as a gag man. And then in the 50s, Uh, There was sort of a nostalgic phrase. Hold on one
0: second. second. Yeah. At at what point in there did he file for bankruptcy?
1: Oh, I don't know. I I actually didn't know about that, but I think it must have been the 30s.
0: Yeah. Okay.
1: Yeah. But he was bankrupt. Yeah. I mean, he stopped making movies and he had uh, there's a great photo. I I won't bother showing it, but uh, he had this incredible, enormous Beverly Hills, Roman, the Roman villa mansion. Uh, and one of the most expensive in the, in the town. And then he was impoverished a few years later. Uh, anyway, uh, in the 50s and 60s, there was a nostalgia for silent films, and he began making movies again as a cameo sort of thing, never a really substantial role, never doing anything original. He would do pie fights, which he never did in any of his movies, and he was, you know, goofy and silly. Uh, and then the most amazing thing was back in the 60s, he fell in with the Beach Party yep. movies, the guys who made that. And he had these featured roles. It was just you know cameos here and there. but And he would do some slapstick eggs. He did some things he'd done 50 years or 40 years earlier. And uh, I guess they came up with a few things, or maybe he came up with a few things. But I show him uh, in the last Beach... Uh, and many of our viewers will not know what Beach Party movies were. <laughs> so Annette Funicello was uh, a... a um, uh, a lovely figured uh member of the mousketeers which is the mickey mouse club uh, uh kids who perform and you know later on britney spears and justin timberlake were mousketeers in the revival of the mickey mouse the new mickey mouse club in the 80s or whenever it was anyway so annette funicello was a britney spears of her time and she started making these movies which were all about getting her into a bikini Uh, And so uh, they were beach party movies. They would have parties on the beach and they would have horrible plots around that, but they would hire great comedians to surround them with hijinks. Anyway, um, there's one clip of him uh, dancing with a bikini clad beauty uh, and at the age of 70, and he's going like this, doing the frug or whatever, and he hits himself <laughs> in the jaw and falls over backwards and tumbles over a chair at the age of 70. Uh, so he just never lost his ability to do pratfalls and physical stunts.
0: I mean, it was amazing. I remember as a kid, and even actually a couple of years ago, I rewatched them, um, uh, catching him in How to Stuff a Wild Bikini and beach blanket bingo and pajama party. And it was just funny, you know, even as a kid, I I knew who he was and I remembered seeing him in those movies, you know? Yeah.
1: And he also made a very brief appearance in uh, It's a Mad, 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 Mad World. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I remember at that time I was just learning who he was and I thought, well, that is very funny. They didn't give him anything to do. He just was stone faced. Uh, I right. think he was in the same scene as The Three Stooges. Yeah, uh, he was. Yeah. yeah.
0: So did those movies, like The Beach Party? Oh,
1: and let me interrupt one thing. Oh, sure. What was interesting, though, is he did get himself, the key thing in his later life financially was they made the Buster Keaton story with Donald O'Connor, who again, isn't known now, but if you ever see Singing in the Rain, he's the second banana, he's a fantastic actor and a comedian and physical dancer. He does, uh, Be a Clown is the big number, and it's considered one of the funniest in movie history. You can look it up on YouTube. Anyway, he starred in the Buster Keaton story, which could have been called the Joe Blow story. It had nothing to do with Buster Keaton, not probably not a frame of it, it was like real life. But Buster got paid fifty thousand dollars, which in those days was what two, three hundred thousand dollars now. Yeah, and he finally uh, was financially stable, and that's when he bought his house. And he had uh, he had met a uh, pretty dancer, and uh, they spent the last thirty years of his life together, and she was wonderful. Uh, just a wonderful woman who loved and supported him, and it's—I'm <laughs> choking up. It's just so wonderful that she <laughs> lived through that terrible time, and like one of his stunts, he just came out unhurt at the end.
0: That's awesome. Also,
1: in the last year, a year or two of his life, he made a movie, a a travel, um, uh, uh, essentially advertisement for the Canadian National Railroad called The Rail Rotter. The idea is he travels all the way across Canada uh, in unusual sort of uh, rail devices. uh, And he actually came up with some of the stunts for it, and he was in his mid-late 60s, uh, but it's really, again, if you love Keaton, it's something to see. And then as a curiosity, he made a 10-minute film called Film with directed by, no, not directed by, written by Samuel Beckett.
0: Oh, well yeah. Uh-huh. yeah but
1: you know becca was a huge silent movie fan he wanted uh uh laurel and hardy for uh, vladimir and estragon and waiting for godot and he ended up with bert Lahr, who was one of the great broad <laughs> comedians of the time yeah. but anyway so he uh he, he, keaton did his film for him he always said he had no idea what it was about but that was not just buster being not pretentious it's true <laughs> no one knows what this damn movie is about it doesn't (laughs) use keaton very well you you only see his face at the very end he's just always uh, obscured in every other shot so it's a it's a mess but it's treasured by those of us who love the idea of keaton and beckett working together
0: that's funny and his last film was a funny thing happened to the, on the way to the forum. And I love yeah. the fact that this character's name is erroneous.
1: <laughs> yes. Well, I'll show a clip from that. But I also wanted to say before I forget, he also his finances came back because he did a whole bunch of commercials and you can see him and they're often very funny, very funny, physical mm. gags. And uh, for a wide range of products and uh, it, it worked out well, he also did, I've got a, uh, not I've got a secret, which he did do, but he did Candy Camera, where again, our, our, our people oh. won't know, but Candy Camera was like a reality show where they would put uh, actors in the situations in real life and have them do things that people would react to and look silly doing. Right. <laughs> uh, so here is a funny thing that happened on the way to the forum. Uh, uh, yeah, this is his last screen appearance for real. And uh he did something uh, that he did in almost all his movies, which was run.
0: And it's kind of ironic that his character's name was erroneous.
1: Yes. <laughs> The most refreshing climate in the world.
3: <laughs>
1: <laughs> so um, that was Keaton. But in another shot, they got a stunt map. And um, the director of that movie was Richard Lester who uh directed hard days night and help and some other wonderful movies he's just a brilliant director
3: Mm -hmm.
1: there's such a story about him i'm going to tell it and then get back to the point sorry uh which is he did the three and the four musketeers movies which i think are some of the most fantastic action adventure comedy movies you'll ever see Mm -hmm. most people don't seem to know him now but oh god they were great and he tried 20 years after the four musketeers to do a new one called return of the musketeers and he started shooting and there was an actor named Roy Kinnear who many of you may know he was in uh Help, he was the assistant to the Mad Scientist Mm -hmm. and he was a great comic actor uh, English and he played Sancho Panza, not Sancho Panza, he played the the uh, like the Sancho Panza like assistant to the Musketeers and followed them everywhere on horseback and uh, in one scene he fell off the horse and died, Mm -hmm. broke his neck and died. Mm And, Ke- and uh, Lester was so devastated, he uh, finished the movie because he had to, but then he never made another movie because he was really good friends with Kinnear and he felt responsible for his death. Anyway, the other story about Lester is uh, about Keaton, which is that there was another um, stunt that they needed to have done by Keaton's character, but Keaton was dying of lung cancer. He didn't know that, but Lester did. And uh, he decided to get a stunt guy for him and later that day an assistant came into lester's trailer and saw him sobbing and said what's wrong he said i just got a stunt man for buster keaton
0: oh oh so now i wanted to jump back just a little bit here real quick to the um, beach movies did those movies um because they were wildly popular when they came out in the 60s did that sort of um, bring Buster Keaton back or at least um, put him in the, at the forefront with kids in that time period?
1: I think was, most kids were like you. It was like, oh, he was a funny guy in those movies. I don't think that really made his star ascendant by itself, but combined with all these other things, uh, the commercials and his appearance in, in major movies in small roles. He was in the movie, a Judy Garland movie, uh, I think uh, Gene Kelly and Judy Garland called In the Good Old Summertime and mm-hmm. some other things like that and his, he just became gradually better known and then he started making TV appearances. This is all black and white and they only had kinescopes back then so there are very few clips of him but they do exist if you want to look. They're not all that great but some, some of them they're flashes of the old Keaton but though he actually got a TV series, the Buster Keaton show That's and it awesome. lasted for a season And uh, between all those things, he then became known. And he was usually, like if he was on a talk show or something, they would say one of the great stars of silent film. But you must remember that back then, older movies were not cherished as they are by many people now. Uh, I saw older movies, much, and not even silent movies, just movies from the 40s and 50s, on my late night TV and that, not late, late afternoon TV and sometimes late night. You, you know, there were no theaters to show revivals. Uh, the first one was the Brattle Theater in Cambridge. And I was there around the time that happened. And the, the movie they showed that caused people to rethink the whole idea of old movies was Casablanca. Yep. People had mm-hmm. forgotten about Casablanca. And that made Casablanca famous. And that made old movies famous. The Marx Brothers were barely known. And uh, they only, uh, they came, uh, I think uh, the Brattle was uh, in the late 60s. And in 1970, I was living in Cambridge and they opened the Orson Welles Cinema, which had two theaters and it was all revivals. And I went to a show of uh, Duck Soup and A Night at the Opera Mm -hmm. and the audience laughed so hard you couldn't hear the dialogue. And I said, that's what I want (laughs) to (laughs) do.
0: That's awesome. I remember my parents taking me to the Orson Welles Theater to see uh, uh, House of Wax in 3D. Yeah. <laughs> and um, yeah, it's just so amazing that we've still got all this stuff. I mean, this is why Buster Keaton is so important to pop culture. Um, would you say I mean, obviously, he's a comedy genius. Would you say that you sort of encapsulated that earlier with his his stoicism combined with absurdism or what what's the at the core of what makes Buster Keaton such a genius?
1: Walter Kerr was a famous writer for the New York Times and many other places, but he was considered the foremost critic of his, of his day, and he wrote a book, Indispensable, if you have any interest in the subject, called The Silent Clowns, which is about the silent comedy era, focusing on Chaplin Keaton and Harold Lloyd, and he, it's a, that was the first time, it's out of print, but you can buy it on the net, um, that's the first time I was ever exposed to the idea that there's something more than what seems to be going on uh, in these movies. And his descriptions of Keaton are just so wonderful. He talked about him running with the joy of an arrow going straight. (laughs) Because he, he, in fact, the the contemporary equivalent, who is another person tremendously influenced by um, Keaton, is Tom Cruise, uh, who's actually done literal stunts that were the same as what Keaton did. I'll show you one in a, in a moment, but, um, uh, this whole whole thing of his entire body is that run, it's not a guy running, it's a a runner. (laughs) And then when he does some of his stunts in the, he uses these wide shots and you see him as a small figure as part of a larger world. It really gets kind of philosophical, kind of existential, kind of nihilist in that it's just this man and the world and nature, and he is trusting his fate to whatever happens. The thing I talk about in my talk about Keaton, and I, I think I stole it from Kerr, but I'm not sure, let's say I didn't, is that when Keaton comes up across, uh, uh, comes up against an o- obstacle, instead of fighting the obstacle, he goes with it he goes, he becomes a part of it. And what's interesting is he told the story, and it's probably not true, but he told the story that when he was like four years old, uh, there was a, uh, a, um, a cyclone in the town he was living in, and the cyclone came through his window and picked him up and uh, p- threw him four blocks away, set him down four blocks away, completely unhurt. <laughs> this idea that instead of fighting a disaster like that, you just go with it. That stuck with him through his entire career and is part of many of his gags. So, God, there are so many things that just went through my head now uh, just that I could show you, but let me show you a few of them. I'll talk, uh, even though um, I won't be visible. Oh, maybe I, w- when I show the clips, am I visible in a little um, box?
3: Yeah, yeah. Oh, I ooh,
1: I okay. Well, then I'll uh, talk you through some of these. So, um, this would be... This is a movie called seven chances seven chances was uh, based on a Broadway show and the movie is you know 80 90 minutes long and 60 70 minutes of it are just boring nothing happens, (laughs) and then the last 10 to 15 minutes buster interpolated a series of. out in life gags no longer stage bound and it's one of the most transcendent sequences ever. I won't show you the whole, there's a whole thing where he gets chased by rocks down a hill and it's unbelievable. You can see it on the net, but let me just show you one. Oh, I don't have it separate, but you know what? Maybe I'll show this in slow motion. This is one dive and roll he takes during that sequence. Wow! Now we hear about falling down a a, a hill. He was diving down the hill. Yeah, (laughs) he's diving into rocks. (laughs) Like what the hell? But you go beyond that, and it's like there's this man flying through the air and fearless and becoming part of the the hill to some degree. He dies. He rolls. And I think, you know, it's, it's poetic. I think it's just really a beautiful sight. So here's the most famous uh, instance of his not fighting with, but becoming part of an obstacle. And it's also the most famous stunt in movie history. He's in the middle of a hurricane and uh, he wakes up and Discovery he's in the middle of a hurricane. so the stories about that stunt are legion uh there were five airplane engines playing the hurricane the house the the clearance around keaton's head and shoulders was three inches and the house had to be made very heavy i think it was like three tons or something like that because with all that wind if it shifted while falling he could have been crushed Mm -hmm. the director was a christian scientist and refused to do it he said he was he knew the Keaton would be killed and he didn't want to be responsible for murder so he left the set and prayed and buster turned on the camera himself uh and it's been imitated uh by countless kind i do a montage of all the different of many of the different imitations i won't play it now Weird um,
0: weird Al video
1: yeah, it was in a Weird Al video and a Jackie Chan movie. And oh, I know what I was going to do in terms of uh, uh, tributes. Here is a, uh, I'll play you two uh, clips here of um, Buster and then Tom Cruise. Hello. so what's interesting about that is that he was supposed to make the jump he now of course it wasn't real in the sense that there was um uh one second let me find Cruz I'll finish this uh, thought, and then I'll find the other clip. He was supposed to make the jump, and he missed, and he and his gag writers then came up with those other things to cover for the fact that he missed the jump. Of course, he he didn't actually fall to his death. Uh, There was a net right below where you could see, but then they shot those other scenes where he falls through the uh, the uh, coverings and things like that. So let's see the Tom Cruise version so i'll have to go to he
0: was really jumping from a real building to another building
1: oh absolutely this is mission impossible seven i think now the interesting difference there is that keaton was actually jumping through an actual uh, or from one actual building to another actual building, it's just that um, he wasn't in actual danger, but he was really doing it. Cruz wasn't even really doing it. He had you know equipment on his back, uh, wires, so he was he was safe. But he uh, he injured himself. That grunt was real. He actually uh, sprained his ankle doing that, and uh, he decided in the middle of the shot that he would continue. And finish it and lift himself up, and you can see him limp off camera at that point. And uh, uh, so, Cruise, you know, Cruz is a pretty amazing physical spec- specimen himself. Yeah. But uh, again, the difference, as with so many things, is that uh, Keaton did it for real. Another famous Keaton thing that was copied was the train, which was in the movie The Lone Ranger with Johnny Depp and Hammer, Army Hammer. And um, in that, they have a train falling into a canyon. But it's fake. Right, right. right. It, would, it would be prohibitively expensive now. But Keaton could pay for the damn train. So I couldn't Depp?
0: Was <laughs> it you, David, that has a, um, a clip of the Red Skelton show with Buster Keaton or? Am well,
1: I- it's not with Keaton there. And it's not the Red Skelton show. It's a movie he was in with uh, Esther Williams, the, who was a famous uh, a swimmer who moved into movies and uh, and swam in all her movies. And this is a movie called Bathing Beauty. And this is when he was uh, coming up with, he was a gag man for MGM. And they had written themselves into a corner. Uh, Skelton is in drag in a, in a house and there's a big mean dog outside the door and Skelton can't get out. And Keaton was on the lot and they went to him and said, look, we're, we're stuck here. We can't figure a, a funny, interesting way for Skelton to, get, to escape from this dog and get out of the house on time. And so here's what Keaton came up with.
3: Hey! hey.
0: I I, maybe I was mistaken. I was thinking it was a black and white clip from a show, but it might actually have been Red Skelton and not Buster Keaton. But there's a gag where he like goes to sit on his desk, but then he falls on the ground. And I remember the the fact that he was really old when he did that and people were concerned, but he did. not
1: Well, I mean, there's the clip. uh, There's a clip of Keaton uh, doing a gag from his first movie with Fatty Arbuckle. Uh, where he gets his feet stuck in molasses and he lifts one leg up to get out of the molasses and then he lifts the other leg up
0: right so he I has no feet
1: it. on the ground and he he falls and he was 62 when he did that yeah and yeah. you can hear the audience just go insane uh <laughs> when they see what he's done
0: that's awesome that's awesome so um uh, so uh, we're gonna wrap this up now uh, david did you have anything else you wanted to say about buster keaton
1: yeah, I just love the guy. Uh, what else can I say? Um, are this, uh, this, movies on DVD?
0: I, I think, uh, sorry, you go ahead. Are his movies on DVD? I know I have one, but it's from a while ago. Oh, yeah, yeah.
1: And you know, uh, you won't be able to see it, but I sure can. There are a few of his on Blu-ray. And oh, my god, the, like the clip of the peddler in the alley, uh, that thing, that's one of the Blu-ray clips. And you probably couldn't tell. But the quality of it is so much better than the others. Uh, is so worth the money for me, but yeah, I think almost all I think all his movies are on all of the major movies and shorts are on DVD, uh, and uh, the Blu-ray was from Cohen Media Group, and uh, there are many others on Kino Lorber, uh, okay. and uh, and they're cheaper the DVDs, um, but the, the Kino does a great job. They're a wonderful yeah. company. And they also package, uh, like, I think they'll have three shorts in one and they'll maybe have a feature and a short on the same disc. Uh, So I highly recommend those.
0: Right. Awesome. Well, David, we can't thank you enough for joining us here. Well, oh, you the could. You could thank me enough. <laughs> All, right.
1: <laughs> thank All right, thank you. All right, <laughs> thank you. What's preventing you, really? <laughs> like
0: I said at the beginning, we've got this long, uh, long-awaited video that recorded a while. We recorded a while ago. I, it's been so long, I can't talk anymore. Um, so it's probably going to premiere in a few weeks. Which, but at this point, when this gets released, it'll probably be a couple weeks.
2: And uh, can you tell the listeners uh, where they can find you online if you have uh, any upcoming events to plug?
1: Uh, go to davidmish.com, as I think so many people do M I S C H, first part of Michigan. And, uh, or as everyone seems to introduce me who hasn't heard my name, Mish, because I look so French. Anyway, um, davidmish.com on the uh, homepage has a list of all my upcoming engagements, which, as of this taping, are numerous. Uh, so, uh, and, uh, i just finished three keaton talks in one month but i'm not doing keaton again for a while but tune in and there's lots of fun things and there's also a page uh, a video page on my website where you can see for free excerpts uh, from some of my dozen talks
0: awesome 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 well thanks for joining us again david you're always welcome on the show here and as we always say at the end of these shows class dismissed dismissed <laughs>